Hello, welcome to Converging Dialogues. This is Xavier Bonilla. On this episode, I'm very happy to bring the conversation I had with Alfonso Martinez Arias. Alfonso is a developmental biologist studying embryonic stem cells. He has his PhD from the University of Chicago. He also had a postdoc in Cambridge and was professor of developmental mechanics in the Department of Genetics at the University of Cambridge for many years. He's the recipient of numerous awards and is the author of the latest book, The Master Builder, How the New Science of the Cell is Rewriting the Story of Life. And that's what we talk about in this conversation. We start by talking about why many people today overemphasize genes uh, and why there's less of an emphasis on cells. Uh, we give a kind of overview of the basic makeup of the cell. We talk about the role of gametes, talk about selfish genes and selfless cells, talk about cells and embryos. We talk about embryonic stem cells, of course, and how if they're necessary for human development. We spend a good amount of time in the conversation talking about the ethics uh, uh, in science and public communication and specifically bioethics. And what are some ways of talking about science, obviously accurately, but also uh, in a balanced way. We talk about polygenetic index scores. We talk about cancer cells and many more topics. Um, I was very, very excited to talk to Alfonso. He's a great researcher and just a wonderful wonderful man, and I really, really enjoyed our conversation uh, together. As always, you can find this conversation and all other conversations at convergingdialogues.substack.com, also on YouTube, so get over there, follow, subscribe, and share widely, and now I bring you Alfonso Martinez Arias. I am here with Alfonso Martinez Arias. Uh, Alfonso, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast. I'm uh, greatly looking forward to, uh, to talking with you. Thank you, Xavier, for your interest in my writing and myself. Of course, of course. Uh, you've written a fantastic book, which is called The Master Builder, How the New Science of the Cell is Rewriting the Story of Life. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's got some wonderful, wonderful insights here. So I'm excited to talk to you all about it. Uh, before. Uh, we get into the book and your your work. Just uh, give me the kind of snapshot of who you are professionally and academically, and uh, what you're what you're currently doing. I'm a developmental biologist. I was born in Madrid, and I studied in Madrid. My undergraduate uh, for my graduate uh, career, I went to the University of Chicago in 1978, where I studied um, curiously biophysics. And uh, but that 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 turned my great ambition was always to understand development, how one cell becomes many and how many become an organism. So at the time, I thought that you could use uh, principles of physics and mix them with biology to to understand this. But sometimes one is too early. Sometimes one is too late. <laughs> but I think I was too early there. Uh -huh, and yeah. I, that was the times at that time. And I think this is important to understand perhaps the the, the, the trip that I've been lucky to, to to go through over the last few years. We didn't know genes were involved in development. We didn't know the character of the molecules that, that underlied that marvelous transformation. And it was at that time when I was in Chicago that the revolution of molecular genetics started to happen. 
And I realized that that was probably the way. So for my postdoc, I was lucky enough to be accepted in the world-famous Laboratory of Molecular Biology in Cambridge. Mm. And um, that was a wonderful time. I mean, when I arrived there, the genes that uh, uh, were associated with mutations in development, and I'm sure that we'll talk about this, were started to reveal some insights into the the genes that that, that were perhaps uh, determining development. And uh, for about five, six years, every day was a new discovery. It was absolutely exciting. Not that we understood what we were discovering, but, but it was really something new every day. I was very lucky to remain in Cambridge after the postdoc, first as a welcome fellow for many years, and then as a lecturer and then professor in the Department of Genetics in the university. And um, really the best time of my life. About two years ago, in the middle of the pandemic, I decided there was a very good opportunity in Barcelona, Spain, and I accepted the research position here. Um, this is a hub of, of, of excellent uh, biological research in Europe. Many people say that it looks like the Bay Area, but, you know, the Mediterranean is not the Pacific. So <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, it's good. But uh, yeah, and here I am um, talking to you and looking forward to our discussion. No, that's that's great. That's 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 fabulous. You 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 mentioned uh, the kind of maybe too early. It, it reminds me of um, I talked with uh, a biophysicist. Uh, I mean, a couple of years ago now. Uh, his name is uh, Raghuvir uh, uh, Parthasarthi. He's uh, he wrote a book called "So Simple a Beginning," and he kind of fuses this world of biology and physics and and where that's at in this the whole biophysics. Um, wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, you wrote a great book, and uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting seeing a lot of the intersection of all of these different types of uh, disciplines coming together to, you know, kind of help each other do uh, life's homework of sorts instead of being. I mean, over uh, over the last over the last twenty years, uh, that time that I was looking for in 1978 has come true, mm -hmm. and I've been lucky enough to collaborate and 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 work with some. Of very good people in, in that field. And that's because biology has become quantitative. And mm -hmm. as we shall discuss, because we need to understand the cell. Mm -hmm. And the cell is a physical object with very exciting properties. Mm -hmm. I've just realized that 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 maybe again it's a bit too early for some of the ideas that I have. And I've had <laughs> to go back and try to understand cells in their terms, not in our terms. But but you're absolutely right. And the, right now, that intersection physics, quantitative biology, cell biology is, is an amazing field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly, it certainly is. So let's talk about, like, I guess the the major uh, major thesis of your book. You you make the case, um, and and it kind of resonated with me because we've seen a lot of this that there's an overemphasis on genes uh, in many fields of study. I mean, we're talking about genetics and overemphasizing how important genetics are, and genes are certainly important, but people do tend to overplay the hand a little bit. And I guess how would you say that the cell is more of a central player, um, and how do you resist, I guess, maybe overemphasizing the cell, right? Some people may accuse you of saying, well, you know, I mean, you, you're you know, overemphasizing genes, but we don't over want to overemphasize cells. So how do we see its importance and make sure that we have the right understanding of the marriage between the two? I guess the, the quick answer to that question is how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me, you tell me. <laughs> I think I think that, that you you you've posed a number of things and I'll I'll just go to the to the heart of the first one. I mean, why overemphasizing the cell? Well, when you want to be heard, you have to be loud. 
I think, I think that this is this is this is a very very clear case. Mm-hmm. I think I state uh, many times in the book that that it would be foolish to say that genes don't have anything to do with with what we do. But I think there is right now a huge imbalance and a huge oversight, even of some of the metaphors that are used mm-hmm. about about dealing with genes and us. You know, when the Human Genome uh, Project was uh, finalizing the first draft. Uh, very big names. So we have now the the script of life. We have the recipe to make a human being. Mm-hmm. Well, there are two metaphors that are often used uh, dealing with the genome and us or any organism, and I have questions for them. Uh, they say that the genome has a toolbox. It's the toolbox mm-hmm. to make an organism. Mm-hmm. My question is, who uses that toolbox? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is a very good thing. They say that there is a blueprint. Mm-hmm. Okay, who executes that blueprint? Mm-hmm. I have never seen the blueprint. I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time working in the prime organism to link genetics and development, which is the fruit fly Drosophila melanogaster. Mm-hmm. And it was in, in playing with this organism that, that slowly it became clear to me that that the emphasis in genes, uh, what it was doing is uh, transforming what is a tool, genetics, into an explanation for a process, which mm. is the development of an organism. And I think we, we have to be uh, careful with that. I think um, I will overemphasize cells simply to call attention on questions that are there that need answering. And we should not uh, get out of them by saying, oh, it's all in the genes. Mm. As I'm sure that, that will come out in our discussions, there are obvious issues trying to blame genes for things that they have nothing to do with. And as we shall also see, cells can do things that genes cannot dream of. Yeah, I mean, t- that, that's t- a... t- t- tell us about that. Tell us about how how are cells are, are central for genes and also what are some of the limits of genes, right? So to, to chat about that a bit. Well, take a, take a, take something that has been very much in our minds over the last four or five years. Take a virus. Mm-hmm. The virus is nothing without a cell. Mm-hmm. It's just a piece of information. It needs a cell mm-hmm. to hijack all its machinery to reproduce itself. That is a very good example. On, on, a, on a, Many people will dispute whether a, a virus is a living organism or not, but what it is, it's a piece of DNA. And if you're going to tell me now that a piece of DNA is not life, then, <laughs> I mean, the conversation doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> but what is very, very clear that that even that very simple form of life, mm. uh, which is uh, which is very mean, as we know, uh, it, it it needs a cell in order to execute all all its processes. Mm. Uh, I think, of course, a cell comes alive during development, mm. because all of a sudden you have something that builds something. Uh, I think I, I I like to see the genome as a, as indeed a toolbox. It's it's a set of instructions, but instruction for tools and materials. Mm. that now are going to be harnessed by cells. Now you can say, what is cells? A cell is, is a conglomerate, is an entity, which we are starting to understand right now, mm. which results from emergent properties of its components. Mm. And I can give you several examples in which you can have cells living and working on two dimensions. Mm. And when you put them in three dimensions, they will do totally different things. It's the same cells and the same genes. However, there is information that they are able to process and to harness now in a very different way. 
to use the genome in a very different way. So, and I think the, the great challenge of the century we are in is to, to precisely understand what are those properties and to try to build a new biology. It is early days, but there is no question that this is what's happening. So genes on their own, they cannot do very much other than to, uh, at best of times, produce information to create proteins. Mm. Do, do you think that there's there was an explosion of understanding of the power of genes for many years, but people didn't kind of put together what you're saying, right? Like there's there's a, a bunch of tools, but uh, someone's got to use them, right? And cells are kind of a, an active uh, participant of genes. Why do you think people went so far with genes? Is it just the novelty of it that we were learning so many things we hadn't with technology? Or you know, do, why did why did cells not get as much of a, an emphasis for a while? Of course, here we enter into a little bit of a historical analysis mm-hmm. of, of a very important uh, moment in in history. We also have to remember that that history is very long, and we live in a very small period. And biology mm-hmm. is a very new science, and and genes uh, have been. I mean, the, the discovery of the gene, the understanding between the relationship between genotype and phenotype, particularly the the. Um, relationship between specific mutations and specific diseases has been very, very important to place um, genetics and genes at the center of our lives, because there have been some remarkable successes, particularly in that area of of diseases and and animals. However, when you go to the number of diseases that exist and the number of genes that exist, you realize that actually what we can explain, the number of diseases that we can explain with genes is very small mm. in, in a manner that, that is related to genetics. But I would say that the emphasis of genetics is, on the one hand, uh, as I have said, the relationship of mutations, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean genes with disease, and also, of course, the, the huge impact that, that the science of genetics has had on agriculture, for example. I mean, because it, it's really been very, very important. Mm-hmm. But I think we've got carried away with that and with the sequencing of genomes. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, all of a sudden we start doing what scientists should never do, which is to explain everything mm-hmm. in terms of this mm-hmm. marvelous entity that, that we have defined mm-hmm. that, that, that is that is the gene. I think that is foolish in two ways. One, because you cannot explain everything in that manner. But also because by doing that, I think we might become blind Mm. To to a, to a totally new biology that might underlie there, if we ask the right questions. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so it's very very important to 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 kind of remember or recall when people are reading about about genes and how many people in certain fields will overplay this emphasis of you know genes and environment and it's like yeah that's important in development but you know there's a lot of other components there namely cells. So tell us about development. You you talk about in the book. Uh, tell us about the epithelium uh, and how that's very essential for cells and just kind of walk us through kind of the structure of a cell, maybe stuff that people will know in high school or, or undergrad, you know, of the, you know, the organelles and the mitochondria and ATP and Golgi apparatus and the nucleus, all that stuff. <laughs> Biology 101. Biology 101. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, I'm not going to expand a great deal. I mean, cell, uh, the cell, the eukaryotic cell, but the cell in general, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous invention 
in evolution. I mean, uh, as, as the late Louis Wolpert, a fantastic biologist, who, developmental biologist whom I was lucky to know, I remember once him saying, once evolution discovers the cell, it's downhill from there. Mm. I mean, and I, and I do like that. Once mm. you have a particularly eukaryotic cell, the possibilities are immense because mm. this is one of the things that we need to understand about cells, that, that they have a repertoire of behavior, of activities, of, of processing information that it doesn't exist in the DNA and that we are just starting to understand. Mm-hmm. So what is a cell? A cell, as I said, when we talk cells, you and I here tonight, I mean, we're talking about eukaryotic cells. Uh, the eukaryotic cell, it's really uh, remarkable. I like to think of it as a machine. Many of my colleagues don't like the idea of, of cells as machines or that there is a machine theory of, of biology, but, but I do see them as machines of a certain kind. Um, they have a nucleus. I mean, that's uh, where the command center, if, if you wish, of the cell, that's where the, the DNA is. That's where the, the and around it, uh, encased in a, in a, in a bilayer lipid membrane, there is a universe. There, there is a world of activity. There is, uh, uh, there is a lot going on. And we are discovering that in that going on, there is a structure. There, there are molecules uh, moving at incredible speeds, but the thing is so condensed. That, 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 that is, there are cables that proteins walk through to move cargo from one place to another. The membrane contains receptors that listen to the other cells or the environment that say. Uh, there is machines that are dedicated to dividing the cell in two when it's grown enough to generate an offspring. Mm. I mean, there is toilets that the cell used to process uh, the food that, that it has. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a whole universe in there that, that, that we're discovering. And all as we've we've seen in the, at the end of the of the 19th century, when the first pictures of cells appear, uh, all some of this structure, many of them have been discovered and they are represented as static entities. Mm. Uh, I think the vision that we have of the cell 100, 120 years later is very different. It's of a very dynamic entity. Okay, One very important component uh, in the recesses of, of the cell is this structure called mitochondria. Mm-hmm. Mitochondria are very important because they are the powerhouses of the cell. They are the ones that, that return. They look like bacteria. And actually, they were once bacteria. In fact, the secret, the origin of the of the eukaryotic cell is, is a big mystery. And 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 uh, famous uh, Lynn Margulis made a proposal many years ago that the reason why mitochondria look like bacteria is because they were bacteria that were eaten by another type of cell. Mm. I mean, that was not accepted for many years, but now this is called the, the endosymbiotic theory of life. And, and really of, of, of the cell. And that is a marvelous story that, that uh, before these, these very complex structures that we call eukaryotic cells arose, uh, these bacteria existed and there was probably a huge world of different bacteria and uh, another sort of kingdom, which is called the archaea, which are more uh, that we are starting to learn about that are more interesting entities. And interactions, you can imagine a very exciting world in which everybody is interacting with each other, 
having pseudo sex, if you wish, with each other, eating <laughs> each other. And sometimes in these interactions, something happened mm-hmm. that, that both entities understood that could be beneficial to each of them. And then a eukaryotic cell. One thing to understand about biology, because there is no, we, we kind of sketched out a little bit the, the basic structure of a cell, but but the, the, the cells are, are diverse. They are different. You know, a neuron is not like a red blood cell. Uh, an intestinal cell is not during evolution. This is one of the of the of the big properties. And you know, to contrast, DNA is always the same. Mm. Is and many of your listeners might forgive me a boring double strand of information <laughs> of ages, isn't this? That that doesn't change from one cell to another, which is packaged with these wonderful numbers that we all like to quote. But cells have this ability to to evolve, to 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 generate different classes, to to different uh, different an epithelium that, that you make. I mean, you could say, in a, broadly speaking, that there are two kinds of cells: some that are epithelial and, and some that are mesenchymal. As they say. I mean, this happens very late in evolution. We've, we've made a big jump from this sort of entity that arises, something that we might come to turn, uh, might turn to later again, is the origin of animals, another huge mystery, you know? I mean, how do you go from this single, uh, sometimes colonial organism that, that, that flat our, our rivers and our life mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to these things that we call animals, the most primitive ones probably being the sponges right. of the familiar ones to our listeners. Uh, so that that is that is another big jump. But once you have there, the cells start specializing, and epithelia are like um, how should I describe it? It's, it's like the bricks of the cell. They, they are flexible bricks. They are cells th- that have very well defined organization on one side. They 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 have a set of proteins that allow it to interact with the environment. In the other, others that allow them to interact with other cells. For example, your skin is a very good example of epithelial cells. The lining of your intestine are very good examples of epithelial cells. Mm-hmm. And and the construction of, of these epithelia are 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 a very good device to keep different cell types separated, to create very flexible structures like it is your, your, your cells. And during development, during the building of an organism, there is a lot of transformations between cells that are epithelial to cells that are mesenchymal. That do. And, you know, all this is using the genes all the time. Cells are going to the genes to draw the, the materials mm-hmm. and the tools that they need to build this. But epithelia are probably a very, very good way of making very good use of space. I mean that that's that's what what you can see and to build the structures that that we have that are very very interesting. It's interesting it sounds like you were talking about the double helix is a it feels a little bit more static whereas cells can have so much um dynamic qualities where they're moving and they're changing and they have specialties and they're doing different things all the time. And I was curious when when I was reading the book uh, when you were explaining all these things, and I was like, okay, a lot of this tracks, but I guess one question I have is about uh, meiosis and and gametes. Um, now, you know, I, I won't I won't get you in hot water, so but uh, uh, gametes become have become more talked about uh, for biology about what it means to be male and female and things like that. I guess how do we understand this process, at least for humans and maybe just for all multicellular organisms of uh gametes and being essential for understanding what we have uh, commonly known as biological sex and uh, meiosis and how is there a lot of uh, dynamic qualities to that where there's a kind of changing and moving and evolving 
or do these stay relatively static and and the the role that the cell plays with uh with with these uh parts well i think i think i think there is no reason to 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 call hot water we, we are talking about biology you are asking me a question which if I understood uh, correctly is, is where do gametes come from? What are gametes? Yeah. I mean, that that's very, very simple. Um, I mean, you know, in that dynamics that cells have, there is reproduction. I mean, this is this is a very, a very important element of, of life on Earth. Yeah. And, and a lot of the prokaryotic cells, which we can put there, the bacteria, they, they, and, and, and a few other related organisms, they divide by, by scission. There is not, there is not a lot of sex. Now, um, what happens with this kind of reproduction is that there is not a lot of variability generated. I mean, you're going to become different because at the bottom, you have this repertoire of tools and materials that is in the genome. The only way that you can generate novelty is by mutation that will happen and, and that will be selected for. At some point in evolution, sex is, is discovered or, or invented, as you wish. And, and that is clearly a, a, one of the big problems that evolutionary biologists have. I mean, I, I am not an evolutionary biologist, and that would be getting into hot water if I was to speculate <laughs> on the on the origin of sex and, and, and what that happens, largely because of my ignorance of the subject. But every time I try to penetrate, basically nobody agrees and there is lots of theories. I think, I think this is one of the problems of biology that very often during evolution, uh, the, the path that leads to us is a sequence of unique events, as somebody called recently mm. a series of black swan events that, that we cannot, mm. it's very difficult to reproduce. It, it happened, and, and from there on, I mean, one, one of, the, of the examples, and don't forget, I'm not forgetting about the gametes, I'm not going off tangents, <laughs> is the origin of life. Personally, I don't find that a very interesting question because mm -hmm. because i think there is so many ways in which it can start it and we could spend half an hour in which i could prove you that that well i'm very glad that people have views but again this is probably a black swan event that that happened and, and things so the, the same with with the origin of sex but it is clear that that and that that led to, to, to the formation of, of gametes which are the the, the sexual cells and, and there is people that that can explain why to have two is better but the fact is that when we have that, there are many mechanisms all of a sudden of generating variability. Because mm -hmm. one of the things is that most of the cells in, 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 in on the face of the earth, uh, they are diploid. That is to say that they have two genomes that come from, from each gamete. And in fact, the, the way that to make the gametes is that you, you, you make sure that these cells now have only one genome. Mm -hmm. And the genomes are, are different. And, and they've they've jumbled up in the process of making the the, the gametes, mm -hmm. such that when you get to to individuals coming together, you're now getting something new that didn't exist in any of the parents. So I think I think that um, that that um, that's that's the evolution of those cells, which are very sophisticated, are very are very very. Uh, uh, complicated and interesting the, the sperm i mean that's why when Leeuwenhoek, the person one of the person that discovers the, the that uses the, the lens that that he built to start looking at that nature when he puts his own semen under, under the lens and find these things he thinks they're animals mm -hmm. he cannot relate them that they, that they are cells you know mm -hmm. and, and and then it took them years to find to find the particularly the mammalian egg as, as i also discuss in the book but these are very, very special cells, each with their own uh, characteristics. 
and and when they combine, when they come together, they generate an entity that that is totally different from any of the parents. Otherwise, you have clones. Mm. So uh, I think gametes were clearly a very important uh, evolutionary moment uh, because although nobody can explain why it happened. <laughs> And you'll see many discussions about their advantages. The fact is that they are the basis of of what what life is. Mm. You have a you have a nice uh, a nice uh, phrase in the book. I really I don't remember where it is, which chapter or whatever. But I believe you say somewhere in there that we have selfish genes and selfless cells. Right. It's a very, it's a very nice uh, phrase. So just tell us about what you meant by that. So that, that is that is embedded. I mean, we're jumping a bit about, but I'm I'm following your I'm following your lead. <laughs> uh, I think actually I think that's very important because, uh, and you're gonna forgive me and and allow me to expand here a little bit because this is important. Yeah, please. Uh, I think that the the culture of the gene, let's call it like that, mm-hmm. which is very very important and it's played a very important role as i keep on saying i'm not saying that neither the genes are not important or the genes it's clearly but there is another entity that plays a role here as as we are developing in this conversation one of the very important and iconic moments in the history of the gene in the 20th century is the publication by richard dawkins of the selfish gene that is a very important book that uh, has an idea which is like a climax of of this gene-centric view of the world. One thing that is very important to understand, Richard Dawkins is is an evolutionary geneticist, is an evolutionary biologist uh, with with a tendency for behavioral ecology. That's probably his, his, not probably, that is his specialty. Mm -hmm. And this book puts in the minds of people the centrality of the gene in our lives and in evolution. Mm. Basically, his point is that the only thing that matters is the genes. In fact, he puts a metaphor which struck me as a graduate student. And it's a very striking metaphor that we are machines built by genes in a sort of eternal fight that they are between themselves. I mean, this is the metaphor. I'm probably uh, embellishing it a bit, but that's really the premise of the book. Mm. Genes are selfish. They are fighting with each other. And we are their product in order to, and you know, as a behavioral ecologist, I mean, when you start reading his books, not the, the Selfish Gene, which is a rather readable book, but he has another which he wrote to explain to the scientists the Selfish Gene, which is and called the, the Extended Phenotype. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, I hope I hope you you like aphids and, and little insects because it goes forever about the multiple strategies of these animals. <laughs> and, and he always blames genes. This is all the working of genes. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a problem there because we uh, are not a direct consequence of genes, whether we like it or not. I mean, I think he also something that is very important to understand is that throughout the second half of the 20th century, there, there is a little bit of a dissonance between the evolutionary biologists or most evolutionary biologists for whom a gene is an allelic frequency. It's a set of allelic frequencies and alleles are the variations of the genes and that's what they want. And with the discovery of the material nature of the gene, there is the people that study cell biology, developmental biology, for which increasingly a gene is a real entity 
which is transcribed into RNA and translated into proteins. And these are two very different views of the of the world. So uh, the, the, the relationship between the genotype, which is the genetic content of, of a cell, and the phenotype, which is what we see, the, 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 the function, the structure and function that results from the combination of genes, in the case of the molecular and cellular biology, requires a set of steps of increasing complexity, and we can use that word emergence. Whereas for the evolutionary biologists, there is an arrow, which which is filled in in, in no different ways. So this this creates an interesting problem. A good friend of mine, the Nude Bull, wrote some time ago uh, a very one-page article in a journal in which he poses what I think is a very profound and interesting question about how to bring together development and evolution. As I said, I'm interested in the development of an organism. And he puts it that, that it's, it's difficult because development deals with a recurrent theme. That is to say, the development of an organism will recur itself over and over and over again. And evolution is really an arrow that moves through time forward without stopping. And there is a challenge there to bring together these two very different entities. Discussing with him, I realized that this is a problem of time scales. And that it is true that that, that the, the evolution is really this arrow that is moving in, in, in time. But development is not totally inert. I mean, over time, it also changes. This is how we get evolution. And then you get this very interesting thing, and, and thinking about this in the book, I, I think we need to resolve this paradox that, that my friend Denis Dubul poses, but also try to fill in the gap that Dawkins puts in there, because Dawkins doesn't know any cell biology and doesn't know any developmental biology, and I don't blame him for, for that. I, I know very little evolutionary biology, but sometimes, and this is true in the extended phenotype, when he tries to fill this gap, it becomes obvious that, that he doesn't understand these things. Because during development, the cell is ruling the genes. Cells are delving into the genome, picking up the genes that they want, using them to build new cells, different cells, to organize the cells in space, and they are, they are collecting the, the, these sets of genes. However, he's right that in terms of evolutionary time scale, what, 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 what matters to the genome is to be passed to the next generation. And this is why I suggest in the book that it's a metaphor, of course, but I think one is allowed to do that, that the cell and the gene reach a Faustian pact in which, if you <laughs> wish, you know, the, the, the gene is, is playing Mephistopheles, if you wish, and the cell is playing Faust. And, and the cell sort of says, all right, you know, if I can use you during my lifetime to build these wonderful things and to use my imagination, I will package you into the gametes and send you to the next generation. And the, the, the genome says, that's fine, you know, then I'm going to remain quiet. As long as I can get to the next generation, I'm going to remain quiet. And now you can do with me whatever you want. Mm. And I think I think this all of a sudden is a way of, of sort of trying to bring together mm -hmm. the, the sort of, uh, and the cells, when they start doing that, they are not selfish. They are helping each other. They All of a sudden, they are controlling completely the genome. I would say that, that situations like tumors, like cancer, that are examples in which now the genome rebels and tries to take over the cells. And now what you get is chaos, because it's, it's trying to do what it does in the context of order and under the control of the cells. Mm. So th this is what I mean, the cells are selfless, be because now in this uh, entente that they have got with the genome, they, 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 they are trying to, to build something over a, a, a determine a defined period of time. Mm. This is also why I call it Faust, because if you think this is the, 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 the myth of Faust reenacted in a way. And I think there is no escape 
that that toolbox that people talk about, I don't think there is a blueprint. The, the blueprint, the notion of blueprint is a very interesting and fascinating one. Uh, I think biologists, unlike physicists, and I've stand around many physicists, I think we are very loose with our language, maybe because the entities that we try to capture are very difficult to define. But I do think that this is one of the big problems of biology, that we, we, we use language with too much freedom and sometimes get into trouble. Because as I said, I haven't seen a blueprint in a, in, in a genome, and I look for it. Or, or a toolbox. And so th there is all this information that is being used by cells together with, with emergent information, which is a very elusive phenomenon. But this is this is what I mean by, by the cells being selfless, but also of how this notion brings together uh, development and evolution in a manner which for the moment I find I find comforting. That's a nice way that the Faustian pact is, is is a good one. It's a it's a nice way of showing not genes or cells as in necessarily conflict with each other, but how are they working and coordinating together? Um, when you look at an organism, and then when you look at humans, um, that that reads differently. Because I find that when there are, people do emphasize one or the other, it does tend to be pretty myopic in how people are looking at things. And, and, and people will do this many times, maybe unintentionally. But you you displaying kind of this interplay between cells and genes, uh, I think is is particularly instructive because it helps us to kind of contextualize a little bit better uh, what's going on within. But you have you have body. to look at it in in the context of these time scales that they are looking at very different time scales. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a way, in the evolutionary gene in the evolutionary time scale, the gene probably is the master, if you wish. Right. Yeah. But yeah. but in the in the short time space of development. It's none of their business. I mean, they've been packaged into these into these right. units, the gametes, mm -hmm. sent to the next generation. Mm -hmm. Now, for the rest, just play with me, and that's very important because, of course, that that also uh, creates the opportunity to explore mm -hmm. with new mutations, with new possibilities, with mm -hmm. uh, with new with new activities. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 certainly. So, so let's talk about uh, embryos, cells, and embryos. Uh, this is a cool part of the book, middle middle part of the book. Um, you know, I want to I want to hear your explanation of how do we get from a single cell to a full embryo, and then obviously a person eventually if if, if successful. Um, you must know the work by um, she wrote the Dance of Life. Uh, uh, Draw the blank. Uh, Zarnica. Zarnica. Yeah, yeah, Zarnica. Yeah, that's who it was. Uh, she wrote a great book. Uh, she was she was recently. Uh, in the news, I think she had some kind of uh, paper with a group of people or something like that. I, I didn't follow it too closely a little bit. It was uh, apparently you know, somewhat uh, groundbreaking of sorts, but she writes a lot about the, the for listeners. She writes a lot about uh, embryos and, and the you know single cell uh, becoming a human being and things like that. So um, you can talk about her work or agreements, disagreements if you want. Um, but uh, how do you usually understand a single cell getting to a full embryo and that process you can you can keep with humans uh, or you can use any <laughs> any uh anything else but uh, how how do we get to that point from one point to another point it's such a it's such a such a huge transform transformation uh, and and I'm curious for your thoughts i think this is where cells uh, come into the limelight because this is the work of cells it's not the work of genes. Uh, I think that uh, sometimes science 
works in in mysterious ways. I mean, when I when I I told you that that I went to to Chicago with the idea of understanding this process because at that time we didn't know very much about the the genetic and molecular underpinning of the of of biological systems. Uh, I thought maybe you could do it by, by thought, I mean, by the same way you build physics. But but I think my eyes were open, and 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 slowly we build this picture. I think very important in in there was a lot of what it's called experimental embryology before the 1950s. Um, I think that that was not surprisingly that did not have a cellular base. I think people were looking at tissues. It's, they were moving tissues around. They were they were playing with groups of cells, but the cell view of the world was not there. That sort of falls into a hole for about twenty or thirty years because people get tired of, as Spemann said, and Spemann, the very famous German embryologist, I've spent my life. Uh, putting an embryo into ever more embarrassing positions and asking it to get out of them and seeing how they do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think people got tired of cutting and pasting pieces of embryos and because they needed to, to understand something. I think the thing that develops in the background is mutations that affect the development of, of an organism. These were collected as... Um, curiosities by, by people that, that were with flies. People, of course, that were with cattle, they knew that, that when they fed in certain things, they got cyclopic or, 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 or mermaid-like like, like observations. So clearly there was something going on underneath. It is in the 1970s and the 1980s that, that systematic screens for mutants that affect the pattern in particularly of the fruit fly that reveal that all of a sudden you can i think this is very important that you can mutate a gene you can you can mess up a gene and you will develop a certain phenotype a certain abnormality in a very reproducible manner somehow there is a link mm. now but it's very important to understand is that what we know often is what happens when you mess up the gene it yeah. is much more difficult to go forward and figuring out what the gene does mm. This is where I think all of a sudden we have fallen into 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 using to turning what is a tool into an explanation. But mm-hmm. but we can come back to that later. Now it is at this moment that all of a sudden this mysterious process that, that happens in which the first cell becomes an organism, we start attaching genes through mutations to all these particular processes to to, to all these events. And and this is really where we have been for the last 30, 40 years. I mean, this has been, I've witnessed this. Uh, and, and so the way you, you people tend to think that that process happens is because you switch on genes on and off. You, mm-hmm. you switch cohorts of genes mm-hmm. and genes will turn on genes. And if different cells have different genes, they will turn on different genes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in this sort of progressive manner, you get every cell to express different genes. The problem is that, as I've been saying, genes turn on genes that turn on genes, and the genes are different in different cells because they express different genes. But how do you get shape? How do you get form? How do you get time? How do you get all this out of out of things? In fact, if you think about it, back to the idea of DNA, RNA, these nucleic acids, I think that um, you find that uh, the DNA is very samey. You know, you can get these gene regulatory networks, and and they are all going to be one like the other. But again, uh, genes uh, code for RNA. RNA will code for proteins, and all of a sudden, these proteins, in the context of a cell, 
and I will come back to why I'm making a pause here. These proteins assemble, acquire properties, they're ensembles that they don't have as individuals. This is where the notion of emergence starts happening. Mm. Also, one very important thing, the, the cell, this eukaryotic cell that we referred to before, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the, of the things that is very important for Dawkins is the notion that the DNA is a replicator, that it has the ability to replicate itself. In fact, I will not argue with anybody if somebody tells me that the DNA, if the DNA is a blueprint for anything, is for another molecule of DNA. That 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 that's a, there is no more. There is no more than that. Mm. Now, do you think that the cell will appear out of these processes of of mRNA of DNA of proteins? The cell is also a replicator. If you remove the membrane of a cell, the cell cannot make that membrane again. Mm. That membrane, whatever it's involved, is a, a total entity of the cell that it has to replicate together with the DNA. So, so th- there are other replicators in the cell that cannot be built in no, but that the DNA cannot build by, by itself. Okay, this is this is this is quite quite important. And during development, th- this happens all the time, very 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 orderly. So I, th- I think that that the way we understand now this process is in terms of of genes turning on other genes. Now that has to change because what we are seeing is that cells can sense a space, can sense their position and can turn on genes, not depending on the genes that they express, but on the position or the physical environment in which they are, okay? And th- this is something that now it's the subject of very important investigation. And this is going to be uh, very, uh, they use sometimes proteins to, to, to detect that. But remember, th- this is not anymore simply a chemical process. There are physical inputs into the, the situation. That, that, that we have. So how does a cell become become uh, an organism? It's a progressive uh, sequence of events that um, that we are starting to have the tools um, to uh, ask that question. Uh, we know um, the components that the cell use uh, to build two cells. When they build two cells, those cells now start interacting with each other and talking to each other with languages that we're just beginning to understand to build four cells of the right organization and so on and so forth. We still don't know what what that language is. I like to say sometimes uh, recently to the students that, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century, we didn't know anything about genes. Mendel is about to be discovered. We had all sorts of wacky explanations for this problem of development, okay? And I like to read about some of those wacky explanations because some of them are very, very insightful. Mm. Now, we discovered genes and we start explaining. At the end of the 20th century, we can explain everything with genes. Now, when you do experiments, you realize that there is another dimension there. And I think it is our duty in the 21st century to, 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 to find that, um, that, uh, that, that entity. I think that um, human development has been a, a, a holy grail of, of, of developmental biology, but, but the foundations have been built on other organisms, on frogs, on flies, on fish. On um, I think over the last um, five, ten years, uh, the attention has started to be on uh, human beings. I mean, this is this is this is very important. Um, the reason for this has been the embryonic stem cells mm. that, that that you have that that, that are very important, um, and I don't want to jump, but but I think this has become a tool uh, in in our arsenal of uh, 
experimental ways of, of addressing questions because these cells have abilities to organize themselves into a structures that that we call embryos that 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 we had not we had not thought before it's it's very very surprising the ability that these cells have to without touching anything of their genomes we, we don't deal with their genomes we don't deal with their genes mm-hmm. in fact what we do which is very surprising is we use signals mm-hmm. that the cells use to talk to each other but we talk to them through those signals what is very clear is that we don't speak that language very well at the moment because what we are doing is not perfect. But is there but something it's, it's really... is there something special? I don't want to say special, but is there something unique, I guess, about embryonic stem cells as opposed to maybe adult stem cells or other types of stem cells? Like, what is it about? Is it is it so dynamic in early formation that makes it more malleable, or is it something else that makes it very powerful for other uses? Embryonic stem cells. Embryonic stem cells um, have the uh, have uh, the potency, the potential mm. to generate the whole organism. Mm. Okay, mm. this is this is what it is uh, in our body. There are stem cells. For example, the intestine. Basically, every two or three days, you get a totally new intestine because of all the wear and tear that is going on there. Every every two or three days, you get why? Because there is some stem cells at the bottom who mm. keep the potential to generate to regenerate that 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 uh, intestine and they do it all the time i mean the skin is every couple of weeks i mean this is every but those cells are what they call uh, the, the potency is restricted to a particular organ they mm. self renew themselves that there is a magic there that they can reproduce themselves and upon need they will generate the differentiated cell type so that we can continue to digest food or to uh, or to do the 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 thing of the i mean i mean think think about it every 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 day your body produces 200 million red blood cells in fact, I mean, this is this is very surprising. I mean, and that that's because there are stem cells churning numbers there all the time, but they are very specialized. Mm. Embryonic stem cells don't exist really in the organism. They are a creation of of the of the experimentalist. There is a stage in the development of an organism in which that potency can be captured ex vivo. Okay, mm. this is this is very important. We have found ways. I mean, those cells do not exist there. But somehow there is something very special about them that a group of people uh, in the it, it's a it's a wonderful story. I, I, I tell about this story in, in the book, just through a series of interesting accidents. Mm-hmm. They find these cells, which on the dish they can sort of renew themselves forever without losing the ability to generate a, an organism. Okay. And and this is this is what is special of these cells. Mm. Now, some of us realized a, a few years ago, I mean, the question that um that um uh, interested me and, and, and made me switch uh, from, from the fruit fly that I was working and learning about genes and getting uncomfortable with genes to, to working with embryonic stem cells is the fact that I never understood why these cells these embryonic stem cells that you could have in a dish. And in a dish, playing with chemicals, you could get them to differentiate into any cell type of an organism, Mm. but they would not make an organism. Mm. Now, if you put them into a very early embryo, they would contribute to the organism. So there was some magic here. I mean, either, either, either we were missing something or there is something magic about the organism that, that they need, or we were missing something that we better tried. 
And it is then that uh, that we started together with, with a small group of people to uh, to try to 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 understand if if we could uh, sort of coax these cells into doing in vitro what they did in vivo. But these cells do not exist as stem cells in the in the organism, unlike the intestinal stem cells or the skin stem cells or the blood stem cells. There is something very special. Uh, about these cells, which also they are, they have to do with mammalian development, and, and it, it's it's quite interesting. But but I I hope that that these are very very special cells. I should say that these cells also age, mm. so after a while they they stop really doing very well what they what they have to do. Not surprisingly, but nothing, but it's, nothing lasts forever. Maybe we don't understand all of the ways or reasons, but it is essential for human development. Embryonic stem cells. You can't develop as a no, human without that, or no? That's that's an interesting question. Let, let me let me phrase exactly what you have asked me because it's it's a question that I had never heard before. Mm-hmm. Uh, are the the embryonic stem cells uh, essential for human development? Um, in the in the embryo, the, these cells exist only for a very short period of time in the early embryo, mm-hmm. and indeed, without those cells you will not develop. That's because they are the progenitors mm. of all the different cell types of the organism. Mm. What they don't do in the organism, you don't keep a reservoir of these cells right? Yeah. forever. Okay, These cells are there for a very short period of time. What we have done, what scientists have done, and, and, and some of us have learned from them, is to culture these cells in such a manner that they don't lose Right. That potential, which is remarkable, if you think about it, yeah, is remarkable. Well, I mean, this is where people, you know, when 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 this came out, I don't know, twenty years ago, and we started seeing this and said, well, you know, maybe we could use this to help, uh, maybe cure or fix or alleviate certain diseases. Right? That's that's the whole thing of it. Right? Is the power potentially the power to help with things like you know you know neurodegenerative diseases right you know alzheimer's and huntington's right isn't that isn't that the whole that's the whole theory right <laughs> i'll be very careful in what i say <laughs> I, I i have a tendency to get into trouble and i'm doing <laughs> i'm doing i'm doing very well today you haven't realized but you've provoked me but i've i've, I've done very well so far i don't know how long how long will will this work but um I think I think that um, the reason some of us get into this or, or are interested in these questions, particularly with me, is the, is because uh, I want to understand how cells build organisms. Right. Um, there is no doubt that there are health and social benefits behind that, but by Making that the prime target of what we do, we are gonna get. We are not gonna get there earlier. Mm. I think. I think this is this is this is a, a problem that I mean that that the industry of stem cells, whether it's embryonic or, or adult, has at the moment. Mm. I I think that there are things that I openly despise about this business, and one of them is precisely the abuse of the sensitivities of the people to further one's agendas mm-hmm. and, and one's careers. Because sometimes when I hear some of my colleagues say that they're going to 
achieve all these things. Either they are more stupid than I think they are, <laughs> or they are lying to the people. I mean, mm -hmm. that that's that's the only two possibilities because mm -hmm. this is at the very early stages mm. of, of this work. There is no question uh, that that there is, I mean, over the last uh, few years, a, a number of very important investments have been made on the idea of using stem cells to cure diseases. I mean, Doug Melton, a developmental biology at Harvard University with a company has spent the last 20 years to try to get insulin producing cells mm. from embryonic stem cells it looks as if he has achieved that. Now, this is not a simple matter of making these cells that they will do what you want. You want them to do that in the context of an organism. And uh, I mean, you know, he has to immunosuppress the patients. It's taken 20 years. I mean, when you think about the amount of money, probably billion, trillions of dollars that have been invested in this project by, by different people, and that only now we have what is a promising but tenuous sort of result, you can see that anybody that says that they're going to start a company to cure neurogenetic diseases from embryonic stem cells, mm -hmm. it, it's really, you, you have to look at them, understand how, how companies work, understand how Silicon Valley works, understand how business works. I mean, sometimes it, it's crossed my mind to, to with our work to do those things. But frankly, I'm not in the business of BS. I mean, I'm, I'm in the business of understanding how cells build organisms and, and build. So I think I think that this is something that sometimes gets uh, creates a cacophony in the field mm. that, that that is not healthy. Mm. And in fact, you, you did mention Magdalena Sarnica Gertz, and this is one of the things that that gets me that, that I think is problematic. She uses the the, the the media a great deal in order to promote things that we as scientists know are not what she said. And these headlines to which you refer to, uh, as I said, I will not dwell on it unless you, you you want me to, but I think they were very dangerous and have created, uh, because at first, uh, when we came to see the evidence for what she had presented to the press without any evidence, mm. turns out that it wasn't there. Mm. But this is a, this is a, something that, that she does over and over again. This is common in the field. I don't know why the stem cell field <laughs> tends to attract this kind of activity, but I don't think it is good. Why? Because they are very sensitive issues and because, because the, the public then gets afraid or get excited. The public is the one that pays our research. Mm -hmm. So then we get backlash, you know, and a mistake or, or a bad statement can cost us a great deal in this, in this field. Uh, no, I, I, listen, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's, it's it's very similar to what happens in the social sciences, but with the physical sciences, the stakes are higher in some ways, because in many ways, I I I fully agree with you. One of my one of the things I get very nervous about, and sometimes I think sometimes people can do it unintentionally or by accident, and some people have more pernicious intentions. Hard to know, you know, who 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 is who there, but is they have a, a finding it's not replicated enough we don't know the efficacy or effectiveness of it and then we start talking about it very confidently publicly and then if it's wrong or it changes or it needs to be corrected people don't like admitting publicly they were wrong about something so they double down and then they say well you know this is of course it has to be this and let me you know, let me let me you know fix the data a little bit so that way you know continues and 
and this has happened in 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 my field in in, in psychology. It's happened in sociology. It happens in economics, I guess. But in the other other fields, it happens in 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 people's you know in, in my world. You know, I spend half my time correcting people for things that are you know bullshit. You know, people talking I mean, about. The- all of these things that they we know that doesn't exist and then you have to go back and then correct for it but with your in physical in genetics and biology and all these things it feels the stakes are higher because people are always complaining that you know this is playing god or you're pulling this or that it's all of those things and i think i think also by by i mean you know the field that we are talking about is is a very it's a small field. The experiments are difficult. Not many people can work, but there is a group of us, a group of people that are working with that. But only one person speaks to the press all the time and talks about her results. So what happens that she monopolizes the, 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 the impression. And when we have to explain what works and what doesn't work and mm. why the hopes that have been raised mm. are not there, this creates a problem to the field because the newspapers, they, they, I mean, it's happened to me with journalists. When you explain to them what the reality is, they get disappointed. <laughs> that disappointment right, that right. disappointment results in that they don't want to explain to the people what's happened, but that has raised the expectations of, of the people. Mm-hmm. And in this field, we are playing not only with disease, but also uh, this person likes to play with, with the diagonals of the fertility of women, for example. Now you're playing with very sensitive issues here where there is a lot of yearning for for you are talking there with 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 huge feelings and sensitivities oh. now as i said this is this is not new in in the field of stem cells i mean the idea of making a human being is sort of the the ultimate but but there is a an interesting stream of characters over the years that 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 have played on the on the themes and and, and fantasies that can be generated from stem cells to make claims, and, and there is no doubt. I mean, this is the other thing of this of this interesting phenomenon that what many people want is to be the first. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah, they sure. know that it can happen if if it's happened in your dish in a corner of your dish, somebody else will do it. So why not reporting it? And you've put it's like the Spaniards when they arrived to America and do the flag there. Didn't matter who was there. I mean, we, we'll deal with that three hundred years later. But, but it's a, it's a, this is something that I, I feel I feel very strongly about. I feel maybe some people might accuse me of maybe having a a very strong ethics, if you wish. But I think in these times in which we live, uh, where you know people talk about post-truth world, where where people like Trump or Boris Johnson have shown us how far you can get. Uh, with lies or misrepresentations or call them whatever, uh, I don't. I wouldn't like this to to come to a science. I, I think that 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 this is. I mean, I accept that we cannot get rid of people that will play the game like that. But I think we cannot fall into the trap of mm. of of doing that. As and I'm afraid that in this field of the of the stem cells, whether it's for cures or for reconstructing elements of, of human development. But you see, I mean, you, you mentioned some of the things before. I mean, the, the, the surprising thing of this event that, that you mentioned is that the journalists never check with other no. uh, scientists whether whether this, this has happened or not. Mm-hmm. And, but now it's established, you see, it doesn't matter. It's a bit. It's a bit over you. And I think one of the things, all this conversation, this fragment started with you asking me, why do people do this? There is no question, Xavier. There is no question that in the future, what we are developing now will be used 
for improving women's health, for improving fertility, I and mean, importantly, for regenerative medicine. Mm-hmm. But we have to create a very good foundation. And this is what, what a lot of us are, are, are doing. It's a very important field. I mean, it's mm-hmm. interesting these days, people are talking about the Oppenheimer movie that, that is coming. Yeah, and they're yeah, talking yeah. about, I yeah, am yeah. the destroyer of worlds. Well, mm-hmm. physicists have been the destroyers of worlds. We can be the creators of a new world, but we need time. <laughs> In fact, yeah. I, I always think I always think that, that uh, I like to say that we've been doing better than the physicists because the physicists created all the rules Mm-hmm. After the event, after this saw the destruction, that, but for example, all the regulations of embryo research come mm-hmm. before embryo research was possible, mm-hmm. because in the discovery of in vitro fertilization, they realized that the world they they had, that perhaps they should put rules to. This is the 14-day rule, for example, that you might have heard of, the, 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 the limits of, 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 of culturing embryos in vitro. So I think, I think there is an interesting parallel there that the biologists have been doing much better than the physicists. And, and I don't want that to, 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 to be broken, this, this trend that we have developed. There was a there was a great book that talks sort of the, about the history of this. I, I had a conversation with him with... Uh... Matt Cobb, he wrote this book called As Gods, uh, mm-hmm. and he wrote this he wrote this history of of uh, biology and genetics and all of the things where people were saying in in the fifties and sixties and seventies and into kind of modern day. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We need to put some some pull the brakes here on some of this stuff. We're we're getting way too ahead. And he talks about many of the experiments that have happened in in Asia where they tried to clone animals and all of these other things and trying to do a full embryo and, and what are the, when there's no rules or there's no, there's, there's not an emergency break, you know, and people just go with it. Well, sometimes you let things out of the bag. You can't put it back in the bag. I well, mean, no, that, that happens. What, what we have learned, we cannot unlearn. This is, uh, this is uh, uh-huh. right, right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think, I think, I think that the issue, for example, you probably know the case of He Jiang Kui a, a few years ago, who all of a sudden claimed to have done this marvelous experiment. I think these people that make announcements without evidence, and when we see the evidence, is not what they propose. I think, I think the, the, the sad thing is they're all gonna be there all the time. We cannot because that's human nature. But I think that that they don't help. I think they don't help the work of others. That also they of course affect in a, in a strange kind of way the likelihood, because how are you going to say well if that person has done that how come you haven't? Mm-hmm. So why mm-hmm. should we fund you to do something that somebody else has done, mm-hmm. even if it, if that other person hasn't done it? You see you see the problem with that. But I want to stress that this is a very exciting moment in biology, sure. and I think that we understand a, a lot of how genes work, and CRISPR is a fantastic tool yeah, that, yeah. that allows us, but there is there is one clear thing that the amount of disease that can be treated with crispr is very very small because it affects sort of the, the screws and the, however let's not minimize or underplay the importance and the value of that i mean that's very important because the life of any single human being is worth all the effort in the world the numbers it doesn't matter mm-hmm. however we have to face the reality that a lot of the things that that we might be interested in are not the result of, of one gene, that the result of the activities of cells. Mm. And and for example, one of the most interesting developments in um, 
in, in biomedical research at the moment, this is CAR T cells that you might have heard about, in which you reprogram a cell in order to now sniff a tumor and kill it. Now, what you're doing is reprogramming a cell. You're, you're not changing anything. You are letting the cell do what it does. You are adding more tools to, to, to its kit. So it, imagine the day that, that we'll understand. I mean, one of the problems with, with this regenerative medicine that we were talking around the edges before is that we still don't understand. We cannot control what these cells do and we cannot get them to do what they do normally. This is what I meant by we don't speak their language normally. When we do these experiments, we use cocktails. I, I like to call it 20th century alchemy, 21st century. I forget that we are. Although as a, very, as a very good friend of mine always tells me, Alfonso, don't worry, remember. Chemistry is alchemy plus numbers. So I'm always <laughs> hoping that if we if we put if we put the numbers into this alchemy, we, we might get to speak the language. But but it's very clear that that the signals what we put in the in the test tube is exactly the same the same signals that 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 the cells are using to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is this to me it's it's is where a lot of the of the of the excitement comes at the moment in, mm-hmm. in, in that we have to learn this language. That, that is above genes. Yeah, it's, it's like why many people have a lot of the concerns, and I can see it. Some people have different opinions on this, obviously, but you know, this is a polygenetic index screenings, you know, where you have a polygenetic index, uh, you're doing various GWAS studies, and you know, you're saying, here's your, your polygenetic score. Obviously, with uh, uh, IVF stuff, you know, people do the pre-implantation genetics right the pgtp and and people you know it's 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 you know consumer eugenics right it's like you know how do you want to build these things or whatever and and i i think i i think in a lot of ways if we if we i find history really important here because i i'm, I'm with you i'm very very much a cautious person uh because of history of we have to there's a lot of potential and power and we should absolutely study this stuff for sure but when we export it too quickly without knowing all of the things, we just repeat the mistakes that we did in times past in, in, in history, whether it's with engineering or, or technology or physics or biology. We have to be able to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do we build parameters or contours around this, which might be uh, there's a there's a push pull there, right? Because you don't want to be you know too stifling, but you also don't want it to be the Wild West either. Where things have no no uh, no limits, and you know, I think we're we're going to well, keep I mean, uh, you know touched, figuring that you've out. Touched, you've touched upon a very interesting situation that is developing, which is this polygenic risk course. Yes, yeah. Which is which is really, uh, I mean, you know, I'm 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 actually quite concerned mm. about that because, um, and I'll give you some examples, but the 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 problem with the polygenic risk course is that there is a lot of money behind that. Yeah, oh yeah. This is this is this is where the problem lies. And really what the polygenic risk scores, I mean the the geneticists that 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 perform those studies, uh, I think sometimes it's if, as if all of a sudden I were to start talking Latin to you, you would be very impressed, even though you wouldn't understand anything or, or some uh, deep European language. You would be very, but but and and you would say that I'm thinking something magic. This is the problem with these algorithms that try to calculate the risk that that you might have or, or the heritability of a particular trait, uh, when actually the numbers are very very small. So what they do 
if, if three genes do not give them enough numbers, enough statistical power, they will make it five or a thousand. And now there is people talking about not the polygenic risk scores, but at the omnigenic risk scores, which is to say, if you have a problem in your heart, your whole genome has to do with that problem. Thank you very much. You know, I think this is actually a very good point to, to highlight how we need to represent the cell in a different way and understand the, 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 the because what, what we are looking at is at cellular diseases. I mean, we could talk, we could represent the computer upon which each of us is, is working on in terms of Schrodinger equations, but that would be useless. What we are talking is about higher level sort of understanding. And this is what I think this polygenic risk course is, is doing. The whole thing of the of the baby selection from polygenic risk score is absurd because there is nothing of variability there to, to them. But what there is in a lot of these situations is money. And this is this is what is, is the big problem here. Mm-hmm. And and the, the ignorance of the people. I think this is also where we need to, as a scientist, I feel that we have a responsibility to explain what we do. In, in 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 no uncertain terms and, and the limitations and this is something that that people are often not prepared no, to accept i agree that 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 maybe there is something that we don't know but we forget to add yet yes. something that we yes. don't know yet yes. and, and yes. history has shown us that that yet is very important because it will be covered I, I mean, I've, we've gone. I fully, I fully agree with you because we 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 had this conversation and we still have this conversation around uh, COVID and the vaccines. And again, this is slightly uh, tangent, but sort of related in this idea of when people are trying to talk about uh, a novel virus and trying to find in real time with a moving target solutions for that for billions of people on the planet, you're going to get things wrong. And that's that. The, what I wish, what I wish that people uh, that were, were leading the charge in that is that they would have said that a little bit more clearly. Um, but that doesn't invalidate the things that they had said, or that doesn't invalidate the, the efficacy or the effectiveness of, of vaccines, or it doesn't invalidate those things because somebody got some... I think there's there could have been a little bit more of saying like you know we we got this wrong we thought this first here's how we've changed it but you know and and you see that with other things too you know everyone talks about AI and, and all that we have to be able to say like we we don't understand all of this we got some of this right some of this we still need to work out and that's why you do good science I think sometimes our our arrogance and pieces of our personality uh, get too in the way of that. Sure. And then it becomes a problem. It becomes a, 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 a detrimental problem because now <laughs> you have people doing their own research on, you know, they, 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 they read an article, they saw a YouTube video and everyone's a virologist, everyone's an immunologist. And it's, it's, it's quite bonkers to me. Uh, and these people get incentivized and platformed and all these things. And that's dangerous to me. And yeah, I don't think we should censor well, people, but we I need think, to combat I it with better ideas. I think exactly. I think we live an honesty. I think we live yeah. we live in a world. Uh, you know, many people um, see the devil in social media. Many people see the devil, but you know, uh, I, I'm afraid that this is the reality in which we live. Yeah, it, it has yeah. it. It's good things and it's bad things. It depends on how you use it. Agree. And and I think I think as a scientist, I think a role and in the in the areas that. Um, 
that pertain to me, I think we need to help people understand what is that we do, why we do it, and how we go about it. And I think the issue of the pandemic, you know, I lived through it in the UK, where, as you know, there was a lot of uh, doing and throwing in a very different way from the states between the scientists and the government. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think, yeah, the, the scientists should have been hurt more in 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 many different ways. But I think. Um, we live. This is the what we were talking before in a society that prefers headlines to detail. Uh, I think this is where we need to find a, a way to reach the people mm-hmm. without. And and in a way, if you wish, um, this is this is what I've tried. As I say at the end, this book that I've written, it, it's a way to try to put on the table a reality. Which, if you look around, you will not find many books. About cells in the in the in, in in your in your local bookstore. I mean, if you if you go, you will find lots of books about genes. Everybody has something to say about genes, uh, the, the sociology of genes. In fact, uh, the book of Siddhartha Mukherjee, yeah, the Song yeah. of the Cell, is pretty much the only other one. And and the mm-hmm. book, which is which is very very nice to read, like everything he writes, mm-hmm. it, it sort of tends to look at the cell more in terms of its internal machinery and it can go wrong, how it can go wrong. I like to to highlight this more, if you wish, from the outside mystical properties of cells. But it is science is about debunking mysticism. It's about putting the, the, the gears. And if you think about the history of astronomy, if you think about the, the history of, of, of anything, really, you start really, I mean, Copernicus didn't didn't have much much scientific to say, but but he sets a path. I'm not saying that I'm the John Baptist of the cell, but <laughs> but I say because because I'm gonna have gonna finish with my head cut. But I, I think, but I, but I, but but you know, I, I think I think I'm just trying to call the attention of what my my that, that there is a reality and it's a fascinating reality. I think what I find exciting about science is that think things that we cannot explain, things that tease us. Of course, yeah. And I think the development of an organism has uh, a, a lot of fantastic things, as I describe in, in the book. You can imagine the 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 the, 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 the fantastic view of, of Speman and Mangold, where they take a bit of the frog, they put it on the other side, and they mm-hmm. get a Siamese twin. I mean, that that's magic. I mean, or mm-hmm. or my favorite is is Hans Risch. I mean, the, the the great experimental embryologies of the late nineteenth century, where he separates the, the two cells of a two cell searching embryo and gets two smaller embryos. I mean, he goes bizarre. He, in fact, Risch is a fantastic character because he tries to reason what kind of a machine can do that. And in fact, when you read his 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 descriptions, you see that he's describing a, a mid twentieth century cell. Mm. Uh, but he doesn't believe that such thing can exist. So he spends. He founded the German Parapsychological Society. He became a vitalist. He explained everything because he couldn't believe. And yet, there was something there that is fantastic. So this is what I'm trying to say: that that highlighting a number of, of observations that are are very difficult to. To, to to understand simply mm-hmm. with genes. There is another reality, and I find it exciting. Together, I mean, we've been talking at a very different level. People don't want to be bored with the details. As I was just saying, I was contradicting myself, but there are details coming, and, and it's very, very exciting. Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree. I, I abs- absolutely agree. I have, I have two final questions. Uh, one's a kind of big one, but uh, you can take it any way you want. Uh, the, the first question is... Uh, Normal cells, as you mentioned, don't live forever, and but some cancerous cells seem to have a longer life. And obviously, cancer is in oncology is a huge topic and all that stuff. But from your vantage point, 
from 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 cells and, and i talked to siddhartha as well when he when he had the song of the cell come out it was a great conversation and obviously he's written about cancer um but from your perspective why <laughs> i mean i know so many people especially recently that have been diagnosed with cancer and you know it's 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 still a mystery to us we're still trying to what is it about cancerous cells that are so frustratingly difficult to find you know how they how they're completely working and then how to how to make them not kill us uh, how to, how to what is it from your vantage point how how do you see this well, I, i'm not i'm not a cancer biologist i think you sure, mentioned sure. siddhartha his book the emperor of all maladies is a fantastic great. i recommend great everybody book. to to read that book even if you are lucky enough not to have had a brush with cancer i think that will give you an insight into into a lot of stuff so making that that preamble that i'm not a cancer biologist i think that that um those are cells as as we said at the beginning that have broken this faustian pact with with the organism and now they, they are by themselves looking for ways of projecting themselves into eternity, you know. And and in a way, the, the story of Henrietta Lacks, which, which you know very, very well, it's a very good example of that because today, I mean, there are hundreds of different cell lines all around the world derived from the original one. None of them is like the original one. And I think this is one of the devices that, that cancer cells use in their quest to, to, to remain in eternity, that they have to change all the time. Uh, they, they have to, and, and that that again goes goes to the to the to the heart of the matter that we don't understand uh, how cells can do that, even at the level of, of a cancer cell. Uh, I think also there is no, and Siddhartha explains that very well, and, and you obviously know there is no one cancer. Right. It's yeah. like there is no one type of cold. Right. There is, in a way, is the same thing. And because these are the strategies that cells that have gone off in a tangent are trying to 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 to, to launch themselves into the into the future. So, a very limited answer to your question, no, but, no, but that's good. all I can do. No, no, it's good. Uh, the final question uh, is: Is how do how does do, a I get, do I get something at the end if I answer it? Do I get a prize? <laughs> The way you've put it, I'm hoping I get a prize. Hopefully, hopefully the prize is everyone goes and buys your book. So that's my that's my hope. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, how, how does a a cell's eye view of biology help us to have a more complete and robust picture of biology in, instead of genes? And, and maybe connected to that is is how, how do you, how do you want people to receive your book? You know, most, oh. most accurately. Well, I think I think if I if I spark their imagination, if I spark their curiosity, if I make them see things that uh, they haven't thought about themselves and the world around them, that will be uh, quite a good thing for the young people. Uh, like many of us, it was a book that we read when we were young that led us to the path that led us to today. Yeah. So I hope that I raise questions that, that actually uh, stimulate their minds and make them go out and, and, and see that. How does it help us see ourselves? Well, there is something that two, two things that are very two simple facts. You and I were never a gene, but you and I were once one cell in the womb of your mother and my mother. So so that, that already should make you think that maybe there is a lot more to life than genes. The, the other thing is that I'm looking at you and I'm looking at your genes, I'm looking at your cells. 
that's what you're looking at me. We, we are a conglomerate of cells. As I said, the, the cell, I would say, is the great unknown of the 21st century. And I think this this book, I hope it will it will make people realize that that it is worth knowing about these fundamental units that that make us be who we are, how we think. If you think about it, the the the, the reason why we think is not because genes make us think; it's because there is this network of neurons yeah. which are actually firing and interacting. There is more to the activity of cells than the brain, and this is what I try to put in the book. Mm, yeah, that's that's wonderful. Well, the book is called uh, "The Master Builder: How the New Science of the Cell Is Rewriting Rewriting Excuse Me the Story of Life." It's through Basic, uh, and uh, it's absolutely fantastic, and everyone should go get it. Uh, Alfonso, thank you so thank so you. so much. This was a, a fabulous conversation, and I, I really really enjoyed it. And uh, I can't say enough thanks for you. No, thank you.